Hello and welcome to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. In this episode, I will be talking to Jesse Hall, the Senior Director for Vertical Integration at Schweitzer Engineering Laboratories in Pullman, Washington, about her career and how she transitioned from a mechanical to senior director at a large engineering firm. I'm your host, Jeff Perry, founder of More Than Engineering, and this is the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping engineers and technical professionals with both their personal and professional development. Now, before we get started, I just want to mention that this is a free show, and our sponsors help us to keep it free. So I would like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, Washington State University. Washington State University's Engineering and Technology Management Master's Degree Program is a perfect balance of technical and managerial education that helps prepare practicing engineers for managing projects, people, and organizational systems. As one former student noted, the knowledge that I gained from the ETM program helped me become a more competent, confident engineer and manager. The program greatly impacted my career and has been a key element in my continued success. You can learn more about the engineering management profession at etm.wsu.edu or email them at etm at wsu.edu. Take charge of your career and reach out today. Now let's jump right in. Now it's time to jump right into the main segment of our episode. Today I'm pleased to be talking with Jesse Hall. Jesse, it's so good to be with you today. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Jeff, for having me. I really appreciate it. So, Jesse, before we get started here, curious, can you tell our audience a little bit more about what you do on a daily basis? I attend a lot of meetings is really what I do these days. What I get to do, so in my role in vertical integration here at SEL, what we're focusing on is build engineering and building and creating the processes for parts and components that we want to vertically integrate. If you're not familiar with what vertical integration means is when a company brings in some or all of its supply chain. So for example, like Ford Motor Company is a classic example of that, right? So Henry Ford not only built the cars, but he had steel mills at the front of his process and then, you know, created the metal for it, assembled it and so on and so forth. So that's what vertical integration means. Those are the teams that I get to lead. So I actually really am in meetings a lot throughout the day. And what those are often focused on are things about strategy, what things should we be bringing in, meeting with my team members to understand where are their roadblocks on projects, how can I help them, making connections with other folks within the company to ensure that we're able to make progress on these types of projects. So I am at my desk a lot. Always coordinating and trying to figure out what problems need to be solved there. Now, I'm curious to learn a little bit more about your background, Jesse, coming from a mechanical engineering background to now being a senior director at a large company at SEL, Schweitzer Engineering Laboratories. Tell us a little bit more about your path and how you worked through this process to get where you are today. Prior to working here at SEL, I actually stayed home with my kids for three and a half years. And then prior to that, I worked at Micron as an engineer and as an engineering supervisor there. So um, probably in my mid-20s or so, I decided to go back to school and I chose to pursue an MBA specifically because I was interested in pursuing leadership. A couple of the things that I was really interested in pursuing leadership for is when I wanted to be able to have a bigger say in what happened in the company that I was working for. And then I genuinely do enjoy working with people and helping them be able to solve problems. 
when I started as an engineer here at SEL, I have some experience. And then also that that MBA was helpful because I was able to take some classes that had a bit more breadth and gave me a better understanding of the bigger picture within a company. Once I got here, I guess I think the biggest thing was I just really, you know, tried to understand like, what is it they needed me to do? Executed on that really well, communicated well with my partners, uh, made some good networks by being able to execute well on projects. And over the course of a couple of years, then an opportunity became available just through the growth of the company to start supervising. And again, it was very similar, right? So having teams that could execute on time, displaying good culture and whatnot, I was afforded um, more opportunities that I was able to take. So in my 10 years here, I've had, I think this is my eighth position. So a lot of change. You decided to get an MBA in addition to your technical engineering background. How did you make that decision and how do you feel like that has influenced your career trajectory since that experience? I knew I wanted to continue my education. I did go into the workforce first. And so I wanted to see what was it I was most interested in. So my husband is a mechanical engineer as well, and he has a master's of science in mechanical engineering. So I had some idea from him about like what that would afford him in his career. What was he most interested in? How has that helped him? And so I did research to figure out like, what is it that I really wanted to pursue? And again, it went back to that bigger breadth of experience. I really wanted to understand more about how businesses work, how do people work within businesses, and just learn more about the overarching structure and and how to work through that. So that was why I decided to go back. How has that impacted me? I am very grateful for the experience because of the people I met in that program. I learned so much from the other students, just gave me a very different perspective, right? I've been in an engineering field, that's where I've gone to school. And so learning about how other types of business operate, how other people encounter challenges and handle those challenges, that was incredibly helpful. And I do think that that has something that has helped me in my career, because I can look back on what did I learn from those folks and be able to apply it now in my leadership roles here at SEL. And I appreciate that because a lot of people are considering, you know, hey, how do I kind of map that out and figure out what educational experiences I need to do? And and you recognize for you personally that getting that breadth was important to you, where some people might want to go deep. And that's okay. Everyone can chart a different path. And you can even come back and experience more depth or more breadth if you go one way or the other initially. And that's okay. But your example is just one of many that we want to just highlight a little bit more for people who are trying to move through similar questions and decisions, right? I've had actually folks ask that, like, how did you decide? Or, you know, they'll ask me that, like, how did I decide to choose that path? And, you know, what's the benefit? And I really go back to it really depends on what you want to do. That's really what the impact is. There's no wrong answer. It's really dependent on what you want to do. And I absolutely do think like you can get that type of experience without having a degree. I think it helps speed it up a little bit. And as I said, the classes were great, but it was really the connections I made with those people that were the most helpful. I want to go back to kind of your day to day and talk about this concept of vertical integration. You talked about a little bit with the example of Ford and talking about suppliers and the different things that need to be connected. But I'm curious if you can explain a little bit more about this, go a little bit deeper and provide us with a vertical integration example for SEL and some of the things you need to deal with there. 
Really, vertical integration is a key part of our philosophy here at SEL, our manufacturing philosophy. And it really started um, on the very first day that Dr. Schweitzer decided to build his own, um, the first relay. So he could have asked somebody else to build it for him, right? But he decided he wanted to do the manufacturing himself. And so it's really been a part of the history of our company ever since then. We have oh so many examples of vertical integration here. What we really want to focus on when, when SEL decides to make or decides to vertically integrate something is we focus on a few things. So given the fact that we're a key part of the safety and infrastructure of our power distribution and generation systems, reliability and quality are of the utmost importance to us. So when we vertically integrate things, we typically look at things that are custom to us. So did we design them? Are they critical to the functionality of our products? We need to ensure that that quality is really good. And we look at the supply chain risk, of course. Everybody's hearing about that, right? And um, we're not any different. So that absolutely plays a factor into it. One of our core values is innovation. So there's a lot of creativity that happens in our R&D groups. And by building some of our own components that go into our products, R&D teams are able to innovate on those products more. And then in addition, in manufacturing, we're able to innovate more on how can we build these? How can we make those processes different and better and more effective? So all of those things really kind of play a factor into the types of things that we vertically integrate. For example, for us, we build some of our own transformers. We shoot some of our own plastic injection molded parts. We build the molds for those parts. We have our own machine shop. We do our own sheet metal activities. We are in the process of building a new printed circuit board factory in Moscow. That will be our next major vertical integration endeavor. So those are the kinds of components that we look at vertically integrating. One of the really kind of fun things that I've learned about working here is we vertically integrate other things. So for example, this new factory that's being built in Moscow, we have our own property team. So we have our own architects, we have our own general contractor, we have our own electricians and HVAC folks and things like that. So we've even vertically integrated those activities as well. Interesting. And for those who aren't familiar, when she says Moscow, that's a place in Idaho, not Russia, Yes. that is nearby Pullman, where the headquarters of SEL is. Sorry. Yes. Thank you for clarifying that. Often folks are surprised, like, really? Russia? And like, no, it's in Idaho. And it's Moscow, not Moscow. Exactly. Very clear about that. So, Jesse, with being in charge and leading some large teams, there's got to be a lot of distractions and a lot of things coming at you at once, right? So how do you ensure that you're focusing on the right things and being as productive as possible when there are potentially so many things that you could be working on at any given moment? I wish I had like a great bulletproof answer for everybody because that is a challenge that I think we all face. And I certainly face that every day. Some of the things that I do personally to try to ensure I'm working on the right thing is I'm a big fan of checklists. So I have online OneNote checklists I have a new one for every week. And so I basically every day, like, here's the things that I need to get done. And then if I don't get them done that week, I move it over to the next week, color code it. And after a certain number of weeks, three weeks, it's a particular color. I just delete it off of my list because I'm like, well, obviously was not that important and impactful to me. And I'm going to move on. Some of the other things that I do is I really work on delegating. And so one of the challenges I think probably all leaders have and maybe I'm biased, but I do think engineering and technology leaders in particular struggle with this, is letting go of some of those like engineering type of activities, right? So often 
engineering leaders are promoted because they're really good at what they do. And then all of a sudden you're in a role where now you're not supposed to do what you're really good at. You're supposed to be doing other things. That's hard. You went into this profession because you love it, right? So that can be kind of hard to let go of. So what I always do is I try to remind myself when I'm delegate, if I don't delegate something that I should, I'm impacting the team negatively in several ways. One is I'm probably holding it up. Somebody's waiting for something from me that they shouldn't need to. And then the other part is I am taking away an opportunity for one of my team members to learn how to do something. I am not allowing them that opportunity to develop. So I do focus on trying to ensure that I'm delegating the appropriate things to the right level within the organization so that they can get done. And I think that helps us stay focused. The other thing is at SEL as a whole, we have a mission, right? So making electric power safer, more reliable, more economical. That is our mission. Every employee knows it. We all understand we play a part in that. Kind of down below that, then as a company, we have specific priorities. And then for our division in manufacturing, we have very specific priorities. And so whenever I'm questioning what should I work on, I go back to my priority list and look at it and like, okay, well, where does it fall? It's like six priorities. Is it six or is it one? You know, or if I'm trying to decide between the two and okay, well, is it a safety or is it a lead time thing? Well, safety's first. So that's what I need to focus on. That really helps me stay focused. And then that's something that the rest of the teams also follow is their goals, their day-to-day activities are structured around ensuring that we're going down that priority list and focusing on the most important things first. I just want to take a quick break here and once again recognize our sponsor for this podcast episode, Washington State University. The Engineering and Technology Management Program at Washington State University is a systematic approach to professional development for practicing engineers to shift from fully technical positions into leading technical employees and systems. A fully online master's degree program, students take classes at night and often implement class lessons in their positions at work before the next class. Learn more about a master's degree in engineering and technology management at etm.wsu.edu or email them at etm at wsu.edu. Take charge of your career and reach out today. I love that focus on kind of bringing everyone together from the larger mission down to the goals of each team and each organization within the company so everyone can be focused together on moving together towards what you want to accomplish. I also love what you talked about delegating, but it's not just getting something off your plate as a leader, but it's if you hold that back, you're missing an opportunity to help someone else develop and grow in a skill. And that's something I think that a lot of especially new engineering leaders miss This delegation opportunities is an opportunity to grow people, not just something to be selfish and get something off your plate and seeing it that way. I love what you talked about there. You talked about some of the challenges you face. And sometimes as a leader, you have to face roadblocks or things that you have to overcome, whether that's pandemics or supply chain shortages or things that are internal to the team, whatever that is. So what are some of the biggest challenges that you faced in your career or maybe just one in particular example that you're proud of? And how did you move through and overcome it? One is what I mentioned before, right, that moving beyond the individual contributor and letting go of some of that work and the guilt associated to delegating some of that work. I think one of the other challenges that I have experienced, so as I mentioned earlier, right, I'm, I think I'm in my, it's either seventh or eighth, I can't remember, position in 10 years. So I have faced a challenge of having to learn a new team, 
and a new group about every 18 months to two years. And that's a really steep learning curve. That's a big challenge. How do you go about making those connections within the team, really understanding like how can I contribute and help the group, not detract from the group? That's been a challenge. What I try to do when it comes to those changes, and I've had practice now, but first off, really listen, understand why that change is happening. I need to be sure, you know, do I believe in it? Am I on board with this? Do I really understand the goals behind this? You know, be sure I'm very clear on what these objectives are, that type of thing, so then I can be sure to execute properly. And then just spend time making connections in the team. So I do have several layers within the organization. I know my direct reports really, really well, my managers and whatnot. And then I spend time with like skip level meetings where I meet with you know everybody throughout the organization, just getting to know them so that they can trust me. That's kind of the big thing that I'm trying to build there. And then also focusing on what are other networks I should have within the company and outside of the company in order to ensure that my team can be successful. Uh, jumping into that, like, how do you go about learning quickly? I do think listening is a big key to that. Ask a lot of questions. I've really had to, I've asked a lot of really dumb questions. And what surprises me is often like I'll be asking somebody who has a lot of experience in a particular area and they'll come out with like, oh, that's a great question. And I was like, oh, wow, I'm asking this question because I just really have no idea about this process. And they're like, oh, well, no, that's a great question. Here's how we think about it. But you know, now that you say it this way, maybe I'll think about it like that. That's been a really interesting experience. Being really open to admitting that I don't know. If I don't know, I'm not going to pretend I know. Just spending time learning. Those are the things that I think have really helped with that. I don't know if I can say I've overcome it, but that is something that helps. It's a process, right? We're all continuing to try and get better. And I love that you're saying like, hey, it's okay to be ignorant for a moment, but you can ask those questions. And sometimes you get lucky with those questions and those questions out of ignorance turn into great questions that actually help people, but not pretending like you don't know. And that's something that leaders, sometimes they feel like they need to have the answers to all the questions, but sometimes it's having the questions and just having that curiosity to learn is some of the best role that you can play as a leader. So that's a great example there. One of our focuses that we have here is really on empowerment, right? The employees closest to the work are the ones making decisions as much as possible because they know the work the best. And so that that is also very helpful. A lot of times it can be like, what do you think we should do? Here's what I know on maybe the larger picture. That's something I can add is like, here's what's going on in other groups that maybe you don't know about. And then what do you think we should do? What do you think is the best course of action? So I think that also plays a big part in it, too, is just that empowerment philosophy. In similar terms or similar situations where you're trying to bring people together, you're dealing with projects and situations where you're dealing with a lot of people, certainly in your team, but you're probably interfacing with a lot of other teams that are all kind of coming together and executing these projects together. Are there any specific strategies that you use to kind of bring people together, have effective teamwork and kind of move through those projects successfully? A lot of meetings, I'm a big proponent of, you know, face to face, even if it's over video, you know, that's great too. And just spending a little bit of time getting to know each other. I really don't think you can do anything if you don't have trust. The only way you can build trust is if you know that, you know, the guy next to you has the best intent. They believe in what we're doing too. And so it's like building that relationship so that you can have those good, honest conversations and give each other critical feedback, ask questions and not feel like you're imposing on somebody else. That takes a bit of time. As a leader, what I will try to do is facilitate those, right? So how often are we meeting? Let's ensure that we're meeting regularly. So for example, my team, we meet 
three times a week, not for a long time, but for a little bit every week. My peer group, my team there, we meet at least twice a week. So that helps facilitate that. And then one of the other things that I really try to do for my team members is help create networks. So I'm a huge proponent of building networks. And I think that that is one of the critical things that a leader should be doing is building their own networks. So then they have a strong enough network that their team can also leverage that network. So that's one of the other things that I'll try to do is if I see somebody has a gap or, hey, you know, to complete this project successfully, you need help from these folks. Let me introduce you to this person and then they can start making those connections. So I think that those things help. Also having, uh, ensuring that there is a designated owner. Often when a project is not executed on time or to the quality we expect, I usually look back at it and say, I was very ambiguous about who actually owned this. And I should have been clearer about that. And when we have that designated owner, that helps a lot. One of the things I really loved about what you talked about is like building that network internally. As a leader, that's one of the best things you can do. For any people who are leaders now or wanting to become leaders, is there any advice you can give them around how you build those networks that maybe aren't the people that you directly work with or connect with or report to? But but kind of these cross-sectional pieces, how do you go about identifying who those people are and building those relationships so that they're effective and, and they're for you in the times when you need them? Get involved. And I mean that on all sorts of levels, right? You're invited to a meeting. Show up. Ask questions. Somebody says something interesting, you reach out to them afterwards. Make that connection. Lean on your friends and your colleagues at work. Like, who do they know that you don't know that maybe they think you should know? Same thing with your boss. I do ask my supervisor that. I've asked him that many times, you know, who don't I know that I should? Or, you know, who would be somebody good for me to connect with in this group? They can help with that as well. And then there's often, you know, a lot of different groups, different types of activities you can do at work to make connections. So we have a very strong K-12 program that educational outreach, right? So I'm involved in that and I've made connections that way. It's fantastic. Similarly, through our university relations folks. We have a women in STEM group. So that's another great way to make those connections, right? So look for those types of things. Like what's something that you're really passionate and excited about and you want to contribute to? Go find a way to contribute to that and you'll find folks who have similar interests and then you'll start making those networks there. And once you do that, those people will help you expand that network even more. There's some great ideas getting involved in all sorts of different ways that you shared there. Thanks so much. At this point, we're going to transition to our Take Action Today segment of the show, where we'll get one final piece of advice and insight from Jesse. Now it's time for our Take Action Today segment of the show. But before we jump in here, I would like to recognize our other sponsor for the show, ASME. ASME, the American Society of Mechanical Engineers, serves a wide-ranging engineering community through quality learning, the development of codes and standards, certifications, research, conferences, publications, government relations, and other forms of outreach. Becoming a member and joining the ASME community is the most important connection a current or future mechanical engineer can make. Members can engage with various ASME sections and technical divisions led by ASME volunteers. ASME members get access to a variety of career resources to help you throughout your career, whether you're just out of school or an already seasoned professional. Search for rewarding engineering jobs on ASME's Career Center or focus on your professional development by participating in live webinars on key topics. 
Don't miss your chance to advance your career, enhance your professional network, and find your next ME opportunity by checking out ASME at www.asme.org. Now for our Take Action Today segment of the show, Jesse, I'm curious, a lot of engineers go through times where they experience self-doubt or fear around taking on a new challenge or opportunity. What advice and actions would you recommend for them when they're in that sort of situation? So my recommendation in that situation is if the only thing that's holding you back is that self-doubt, you think I'm not ready, I'm not qualified, there's somebody more qualified, take the leap anyway. Jeff, I'd mentioned earlier like that I've changed roles many different times, right? That has been one of my biggest challenges is every single time I've done that, I've been scared. I've been very nervous because I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing in this role. It's brand new. I have no idea. What I have found, though, is I've grown a lot as a person by saying, you know what, I'm going to try anyway. I'm going to do the very best that I can, and I'm going to give it my all. We'll see. And it's worked out wonderfully for me. So that has probably been one of the most helpful things in my career is my willingness to say yes, even when I am scared about doing so. Well, you heard it here from Jesse. Say yes, take the leap, give it a try and see what happens rather than letting fear drive those decisions. Well, Jesse, this has been such a fun conversation for me. Thank you so much for being here. If people are interested in connecting with you or learning more about SEL or anything else you have to share, where can they go? So I am on LinkedIn. Um, SEL does have a social media presence, so we are out on Facebook. You can look us up on selinc.com. They're also out on LinkedIn too, so we can uh, connect a variety of ways there as well. Thanks so much. It's been such a fun conversation and wish you and SEL more great success. Thank you so much, Jeff. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and questions. You can go to engineeringmanagementinstitute.org where you'll find a summary the key points we discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books that we mentioned. And don't forget to check out our upcoming live webinars for this month at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Additionally, for any engineers who feel like they want to take the next career step, I've created some free training resources with an opportunity to join a more intensive program called the Engineering Career Accelerator. You can find more information at www.engineeringcareeraccelerator.com. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your engineering endeavors. The strategies that you heard in this episode will be of no use to you unless you take action and start to implement them in your career immediately. To help you do that, we have designed a system that you can use at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. It combines live monthly webinars with PDHs, plus a private forum giving you access to coaches and premium content focused on helping you build your management and leadership skills. Join us for our next live webinar at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org, and we'll help you engineer your own success.